that's how that started. Pretty funny story, huh? It is. Made up of funny people doing funny stuff uh, in a funny time, in a funny place. <laughs> in the midst of much funniness that, um, you know, still has remnants to this day. Should we call them artifacts of a lost generation? It's... I should have been ready for that. <laughs> 8.58 a.m. Saturday, January 16th, 2021. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane That was a little lower note, I just realized. When you were, when I was doing it, it was a little lower. I had to find it. Oh, I went lower? I think so. It felt lower. Something felt different. Okay. <laughs> Have a nice week, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye. Here we are once again. The candles are lit. The um, the smoke has cleared. The uh, All the revelries have ended. And we're both, you know, incredibly hungover on a Saturday morning from all the partying we've been doing. What we went, are you talking we about? We went to a couple of dance clubs last night and... <laughs> You know, we're sweating up against people. Oh, wait, did I just dream that? or? Oh. <laughs> yes, you did. Human contact? Come on. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. Where are you living? <laughs> My friend. Anyway. Yeah, ham and eggs. It's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine, and I've got a lot to say. Please say it. Really? Yeah. No, I mean, you should say something first. No. Go up. Go ahead. I want to talk about the book. Then Go ahead. Well, it's a journey, Diane. People need to understand that as a songwriter, I have a certain degree of confidence in my abilities. And I realized this week that the reason that I have that confidence is because I've sung my songs in front of people for so long. I mean, since I was a kid. Yeah. I have sung my songs in front of people. And have learned to trust the, their reactions to them. So that's where I get my my affirmation or my sense of, of belief in my ability is from the reaction I've gotten from people. With poetry, it has always been this very kind of closeted, closed little area of my life that I value uh, and I probably have protected way more than I realized, Right. So anyway, that's kind of background. So I've been trying to put this book together. I, I put this book together uh, out of poems that I had read in, in the treehouse, from the treehouse concerts that I felt people had responded well to and stuff like that. And uh, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to organize the book by theme? You know. So I had divided the book into thematic sections, or three thematic sections, and then. Uh, a fourth section that I called Rescued Poems, which is poems from years past that I'd kind of forgotten about and rediscovered. I actually found a few of them in a, in a folder on a hard drive that was labeled Rejects. Yeah. So anyway, I had given the manuscript to my wife, Diane. <laughs> Who's she? <laughs> Have I ever met her? Yeah. And asked her to read through it and give me whatever reaction she had. I mean, one, I wanted you to check for punctuation errors and, you know, 
right. any anything is that it slipped through the computer program, an autocorrect that went the wrong way type of thing. Right, right. You know. But I, I also wanted to hear what you thought of the whole book, you know, how it came off as a book, because I had no idea. I mean, I, you know, I look at this as a collection of individual poems and the idea to organize it. I always like to organize poetry. Books are mostly organized in sections. And the sections, a lot of times for me, patterns don't really emerge that define why this section is different than others. But, you know, you'll have a section of things that are a little more serious than a section of things that are a little lighter. Or you'll have things that are about travel and then you'll have things about, you know, relationships, you know, and think, different themes, you know. So I, uh, once I had gotten it organized into my themes, I was getting kind of comfortable with the shape of it. But Diane still hadn't read it. My wife, Diane, she still hadn't read the book. And I know I could see that she was hesitant and that she was fearful and that she had qualms uh, that were largely undefined, other than through facial expression, about reading the book. And it didn't occur to me what your thoughts would have been about bruising my ego somehow or intruding into my personal space, my little closeted area of poetry, because I'm sure you're aware of how precious that is to me. And that, but I think from in my mind, that sense of preciousness is the biggest problem, is, well, what, is what needs to be uh, I, shaken loose. I would say that... I was worried about bruising your ego, but I would say the <clears throat> the biggest thing was the the thought that I would interfere with your creative flow. Right. Um, That's, yeah. So finally, I w kept pressuring Diane <laughs> in my subtle and needy way. <laughs> and so one day she came upstairs to my office and she had kind of a funny look on her face, but she was carrying the manuscript and she proceeded to tell me why she was uh, had been afraid and then she said this is the most depressing thing I've ever read in my life this is so bleak so dark uh, that I don't even want, you don't I don't even want to read it I don't want to continue I don't want to have to keep don't make me go on don't make me do this kind of thing and I realized that I had not paid any attention to those, that kind of flow. I just thought it was neat <laughs> that I'd organized it this way thematically. Well, what I had done is I had grouped some very dark and the darkest uh, versions of myself into these three sections. And things didn't light up until, you know, you're 45, 50 pages into the book, which was not the way to go, clearly. And so, you know, I'm suddenly lights are going on in my head and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh my God, look at this. Another perspective on my work. You know, it's exactly what I needed. You know, it just, and, and since that time, uh, my world of my poetry has just gotten so much more illuminated. So it's been a very good thing for me, and I don't think I can describe it very well but without you participating more than you are right now. Oh, well, I wanted uh, you to say your piece. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of, my piece kind of got muddled, muddled in the telling. I think I thought I was more ready to talk about it than I actually am, except to say that the predominant 
thing I feel from our encounter over this book is illumination and, uh, you know, improvement and a perspective that, because what I know about my wife, Diane, is that she knows me better than anybody else. And she, so she doesn't just know me in my day-to-day, you know, neuroses, but she also knows what my ideals are and what I strive for. And she could probably look at the shape of that book and know that it was not right. So then it became, how do I tell Bill what I know to be true and that obviously he can't or won't or doesn't see? And what you didn't know is that I was completely aware of my own personal blindness towards this work. Yeah. And for the very reason that I started this with is that I've had no one to mirror back to me what the reader sees. It's a different thing when I read my poems aloud on Tuesday night because it's it's couched in a show that is you know, light and, and breezy right. and funny. and But but by the virtue of the lightness, when something with impact happens, it can land because it's in context and people don't have any sense that this is going to just keep going like this, you know? Whereas my book just kept going like this. Yeah. It didn't lift out. It didn't, there wasn't enough variety of tone and feeling and humor and, you know, whatever, uh, and it became this relentless thing, and I had no clue about it. So, and not only did Diane help me to see that the organization of the book was wrong, but she also said that there don't need to be that many of this kind of poem in the book. What is needed in here is more of this kind of poem in the book. So we've taken out, I think, nine poems and added 11. And the sections no longer exist as I had envisioned them because that's not the way I want the book to read. It's a different experience to read poetry off a page than it is to listen to somebody recite it in the middle of a goofy hour on a Tuesday, you know, even if it is the day that time forgot. Well, the thing that occurred to me uh, when, when this started happening, uh, when I felt freed to tell you the truth and and also i even had some ideas about some poems mm. that just needed to be truncated in different ways because i saw the jewel in the poem was kind of covered by a bit of it reminded me of a feeling that i have not had since i was in college and my mentor and my advisor dr phil eaton would hand a poem back to me that I had turned in. And there would be his black felt pen, which he always used. He always used the same kind of black felt pen. Um, would have taken and, and bracketed a section from the middle of a poem. And then in his script outside the bracket, he would write, this is the poem. You know, And it would usually be you know, about eight lines in, to about four lines before the end. Yeah. Right? That's pretty much... I know. That's exactly <laughs> what you... The correction you made. You picked a middle section out of a poem and said, this is what really comes through. And this, at the beginning, doesn't really jibe with it. And this, at the end, seems to be trying to 
to eliminate it, trying to kill what was just said, trying to let the air out of the tire that has just been inflated by this middle section. And so that revealed to me that I have have this kind of knee-jerk tendency when I'm writing about something deep to then disarm it somehow at the end to remind the reader and myself, what do I know about this? Basically saying, yeah, but what do I know about this? I don't know anything about this, nor does anybody else. So that is a pattern that has been identified, not in all of my stuff, but in a lot of it. And then also the first part that doesn't really relate to the essence of what the poem is. You know, I, you know, I do nothing but remove from what I write in my notebook, you know, yeah, I do nothing but remove. And the, the study for me over the last 40 years has been how much to remove when to stop, how much is enough. Because when I write something like this and I'm looking at it again, it all makes a kind of sense to me because I'm thinking of the morning I wrote it. Right. Not of how it reads off the page. And I don't know how to, I can't get the kind of perspective on what I have written that is needed. You know? But what we've discovered this week is that you can do it. It's just, I've never put a, pile of poems in front of you and said judge this please you know <laughs> and uh you've never felt comfortable even scraping the surface of doing that but i think what we've accomplished this week is we've both discovered that it's okay yeah. and that it actually is helpful and that it's exactly what i needed i didn't have any idea when i asked you to read this that this is the sensation i would end up with yeah you know I was probably well, worried about getting my ego bruised and my creative flow interrupted too. Yeah. Because it had been since I was in college that I was in a workshop wherein I would trust a group then of people to build a consensus of response to my piece. Nobody being too harsh, nobody going too easy on me. Right. Because that's the way you did it in a workshop. One person would say something that, you know, I, I don't know, I bump on this line for some reason. And then the next person would say, yeah, you know, I think it's because, and the next person would say, or it could be, you know, and it would just go around the circle, and I'd just be sitting there soaking it all in and learning, you know. So, but no, that has not, I've not been in a situation like that with my poetry. I have been with my songwriting. Right. Uh, well, I have to say that part of the reason why I felt that way is because Everyone should know that Bill's notebooks are set. You no, know, I cannot look. No one can look at Bill's notebooks. No, you don't get the look. It's it has. Uh, he writes on his notebooks. Uh, what do you say? Something like authorized personnel only. Authorized personnel only, and there is only one authorized personnel to that, right. and that was made very clear to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I never, I never uh, tried to invade. Let's say. But uh, but it was made very clear to me by Bill that that was a a, a rule of yeah. his. So having that knowledge made me very nervous to trespass right. in in this realm. But I have to say, from from my the things that came through to me this week while this was in process was. First of all, how much of a joy it was when I was released to do this. When I, when I 
told you about that one poem, you know, this poem, yeah. I think needs, I, I said, I actually see it as two poems. <clears throat> and now it is two poems, by the right? way. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and so when Bill lit up so much about the thing, I thought, oh my gosh, he, he doesn't mind, you no. know. And, I wanted, I wanted it. So then I started reading all of his poetry again with that in mind. Well, is there something that is tripping me up about a particular poem? Like there is this one poem that is absolutely wonderful that was entitled Let the Flies Decide. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, No, you it know, wasn't called Let the Flies Decide. It was called the flies decide. Pardon me, I'm having a drink of coffee. The, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> the flies. You boy. Will decide. It's good coffee. <laughs> no, just the flies decide is the t- okay. was the title of the poem. <laughs> and I said, you know, I don't even want to read this poem from the start <laughs> with a title like that. Yeah. So. And the title is taken from the last section, which is the part the dismantles what the came before dismantled, it. Yeah, yeah it doesn't it doesn't address the whole no. beauty of this poetry so <laughs> and and the final line that was talking about the flies ultimately the flies decide what's important you know kind of thing and that's what i took to put it the, as the title as if that's what this poem's supposed to be about and you're reading the poem and you're like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so once that happened Right. And I was able to feel free to do that. Right. I felt like it was a treasure hunt then because uh, there's there were some poet poems that were already treasures. And then there were others that I was saying, oh, yes, and this is a treasure too. You just need to brush off a little of this and that, you know. And it became an entirely different process. Right. But the other thing that occurred to me through this is, you know, a lot of people have affairs with people they work with. And I think that the reason why they have the affairs is because there is something about being engaged with a person in that, in a work way mm-hmm. and having those victories and that is just so intimate and so exciting, right. you know, yeah. that they they kind of forget that this is a momentary thing. But... To be having a, a work process with your partner who is your beloved and is the affair of your life, you know, is so exciting. It's it, Well, I mean, for me, it's like suddenly I have a future writing poetry. And I have this sense now that it's going to be better than it used to be. Because I have a reader now who isn't afraid. The other thing that occurred to me during this time, and even talking about this today when there's so much news going on about all the troubles, um, nobody knows the troubles we've seen and all that, you know, it's there's so much woe in the world right now. It's just too great. And it, it pointed out to me that the human spirit can't take a steady diet of that. They have to be lifted. The yeah. human spirit must be lifted out of that right. to 
focus on something that is is a higher purpose that to focus on something that will bring you joy right. you have to remember that you have to work towards pleasure in the same way that you work towards you know i don't know being informed or staying up to date or any of the other things we are taught by our devices and our screens and the 24-hour news cycle that to not be informed is a great crime some sort of a major failing human failing to not be keeping up well but not only that i i feel like one of the things i loved about mr rogers is that he was always focusing even in dark times because that was one of the things that i thought was interesting about him is that he was talking to to kids about dark subjects but then he would also bring it around and say things like look for the helpers you know he, he was always bringing it to let's let's shed some light in this about right, something the, good that's happening for most of us it's like he was saying let's find where good is happening in this horrible situation Right, because there is a place to look. Here's too much an idea. Focus on, yeah, here's on, an idea where to look. On the, in fact, I sometimes wonder, especially in these times, whether that's part of the problem too. Is that the, the people are are just seeking attention, and because man, I mean, like that riot, it just seemed to me like there was so much, uh, attention seeking. Yes, so much live, look at me, live streaming, you know, and uh, and selfies and stuff like that it was like it was like a reality tv show on on one level so right. for me when i was i i also was thinking when uh when i was reading your poetry that um it was called pandemic suite and i i thought well maybe he just wants all the poems that were written during the pandemic but during the pandemic the poems are bleaker and uh i feel like Yes, that's a side of what's going on. But the interesting thing is the song that you wrote was pointing out one of the benefits of the isolation. And I mean, just knowing that you're with somebody that... Um, you're not afraid to be cooped up with. Or, yeah, or, you know, that it, it's bringing up something that people resonate with in their own partnerships with their beloved uh, spouses or whatever, uh, trying to see, uh, because what I was saying was some of those poems that you wrote, because it was politics and pandemics was the section. I said, it just makes me want to kill myself. You know, it makes me feel like we are just a waste of air, right. you know, as human beings, we should just be obliterated. The, the maybe earth, we're, the maybe... earth needs to shrug us off like a, like a rash on its elbow. Right. Yeah. That's uh, because that was one of the lines of the poem, right. and I just felt like, yeah, it makes me feel like, yeah, we should. Why live? So, why live? Us. We are, we are so bad. Just get rid of us, yeah. you know. And that's not what you think, yeah. and that's not the way we live our lives. Right. And um, so the book wasn't a fair representation of me. That's right. Is what you? It was only. Realized. I would for me. I would this say it's covering my, you like ten percent of years right. of who you for are. For me, it was just a, the next in a series of books that I've put out. You know, uh, and I thought, well, this one should be you know stuff I've written during the pandemic. 
during the isolation. So, because I thought it would be a comfort to people. I've got the anthology upstairs, which is called Together in Sudden Strangeness, uh, which is an anthology put out by a woman who was a, the poetry editor of the New Yorker for years. Uh, of, you know, it must be, I don't know, a hundred poets writing during and about the pandemic. Well, but during these times, and even, I want to just mention this right now because of... Right now? Right now. Okay. I mean, during this show. Oh. Because there's always this feeling, just as you're supposed to keep up on the news, that you must comment on the news, and you must comment on every single blow of the news and what you think and what you feel. And, And to tell you the truth... I don't even know what I feel yet. I'm still processing what I feel, and I feel like it's preliminary to talk about that. Well, it would be inaccurate. But it would be inaccurate to describe your feelings at any I don't even moment. think we know everything that's going on yet, and we're just somewhat discovering. And, and I think that the reason why people feel that way is they feel like, oh my gosh, but if we ignore this, then, uh, you know, but... But our knowing everything about it and our talking it over between ourselves isn't forwarding anything. No, it isn't doing yet. anything except except reigniting the anxiety inside us. And so for me, uh, what I seek during these times is not more knowledge of how bad we are as human beings and how this can happen, um, but more uplift, more what are we what are we purposing now what are we trying to bring into the world not what we're trying to get out of the world but we because uh what i was telling you is that to me poetry is almost an incantation you know that you're trying to evoke something and what i really want right now in my life more is evocations of beauty and love and I don't want to hate other people I don't want to be more into my tribe I want in fact that's one of the reasons why I'm so looking forward to the 20th because I feel like if we even have a leader who is trying to be calm efficient in the you know knowing that he has an efficient team that will come into play knowing that he is going to take the temperature down from where we've been. We need that so badly. And so for me, the reason why I don't like to talk about a lot of this stuff on our show is not just because we, you and I had talked about um, having this be a different place, you know, Mm -hmm. just talking about our everyday lives, you know, but also because I feel like Unless we can bring some, nor you know, some of normal life into the whole thing, and say, yeah, and these things are happening, but life is going on, and we are all having to live, <laughs> live our lives as well. It's Saturday so, all over the place, you know. And yeah. Saturday means certain things, some laundry maybe, and you know, you got to cook, and you got to, you know. Yeah, live, and so I think what happens, and I think we talked about this too, is that we were so um, caught up in event, 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 you know, newsflash, newsflash, event, newsflash, newsflash, event, event, 
we never get to we never get to step back. We never get to zoom out, uh, move from the micro to the macro, right? And look for bigger shapes, look for bigger trends. Understand. I mean, one of the reasons that we've found so much comfort with Heather Cox Richardson is that she contextualizes all of these That's things right. into a sense of a historical cycle that has been operating since the founding of our country and so that you understand okay this is this is on the rise right now it's just it rises then it slacks off and then it comes back and then you know different things move to the top and and you know people the the government becomes smaller the government becomes bigger you know people want a smaller government people want a bigger government they want it to be involved. They need the government's help. They don't want the government's help. You know, all of these things have an ebb and flow to them over time. And when I'm writing a poem, I'm trying to zoom in and out at the same time. By zooming in farther sometimes, if you choose to, to when you've got all these events and headlines and things in your mind, and then you talk about a crow, or you talk about going for a walk, or something like that, you're, you're zooming in on something other, but then you can enliven that with the things that are really going on, uh, but in a way that gives a, a different perspective to it. Uh, well, and, and uh, I was talking, I, I also want to mention that one of the real highlights of my week was a three-hour conversation I had with my brother Gary. Yeah. Because Gary and I... We speak the same shorthand, you know. We grew up together and really informed each other's patterns in the world. Mm. And we both have different tools of operating. What we work with <laughs> is, is different for both of our patterns. But we both do the same thing, which is think about the world mythologically. Mm. And and try to identify the illuminating factors of the myth that is going on and synthesize it into a brighter light. And um, just talking to him made me realize that. And, uh, and I, I have, and when we, you and I were talking about this, it, it does, mythology lets you zoom out because you're, you're, uh, when you're reading mythology, you're realizing that this is the human condition, that it doesn't end, you know, that uh, that this grappling has been around since the beginning, and we never get to the point. Yeah, it's, all, it's why we're here. It's yeah. Our, it's our job as people is figuring it out. That's a, that's a never-ending road. We're never going to get to the point where everything's golden. We're never going to... There wasn't a golden age that we came from. It's always been this grappling of uh, emotions and and contradictory thoughts and because and, and events and events and and uh, I don't know about everybody else, but I sure see the contradictions in me. You know that there are there are things that I claim that uh, another thing that I claim totally contradicts that. So uh, for me, I like to think about that because. The mythological helps inform my daily life right. and helps me survive, really. I mean, we're all surviving however best we can. 
we survive by the, the ideas that we construct around us and what we hope to do in the world. But uh, because I was talking to Gary and because we have the same shorthand, my, our ideas are able to pinball really fast. Mm-hmm. You know, that you don't have to explain why you got from here to here because the person already knows why you are bringing up this particular book at this right. particular time in the conversation. And we were talking about uh, The Year of Living Dangerously, the, um, a, a movie that I that is truly a wonderful movie that is talking about uh, geopolitical conflict and the ways that people are living within that. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why it was such an important movie to me at the time is that there is a character, Billy Kwan, who is... Uh, showing he's a photographer in Indonesia during this um, tumult in Indonesia and an Australian photographer uh, journalist is sent over to cover this this conflict and he's a new journalist uh, to this global stage and he and Billy are walking through when when he first arrives, Billy is trying to show him around and he is totally floored by what he's seen because it's so totally different than than his his life is. And he's seen great poverty and people in misery around him and they're begging. And uh Billy Kwan says, uh, you know, if you give a dollar to these people, it would be like a fortune to them and um and he and the journalist says ah just a drop in the bucket you know it won't help and and billy kwan says yeah typical journalist answer you know and and he says well what what do you think about this and billy kwan goes into uh, quite a philosophical conversation about tolstoy and how he gave away all his stuff and you know but i'm not gonna go into all that I really recommend seeing the scene. If you, even if you don't watch the movie, see the scene. I'm sure you could look it up. But he basically says, my own feeling towards life is that you work with what is in front of you and shine your light, add your light to the sum of light. And that was a life-changing um, revelation to me when I saw it because... I thought that is what I, I feel, is that you you only have influence in your sphere. That's the sphere that you can control. Right. Now, if that sphere, because of your actions, if you're that kind of a leader, that kind of charismatic leader, your light will go out even farther because of, uh, because of other people amplifying it. Right. But, but I think about my mom, who is a very solitary woman, and yet she shone her light in her family. And that was enough. Yeah. You know, the things that my mother taught me and the way that she treated people in her particular small sphere was huge and it rippled out. And so for me, just being reminded of that by talking to Gary, because Gary was the one who introduced me to that movie. Gary and I talked about that movie for years about that particular scene and how powerful it was and 
um, it just reminded me of my own intentions. And when I was talking about Mr. Rogers earlier, it's that look for the helpers. Be a person who shines your light, knowing that whatever, however far you get it out there, it's helping. And so um, bringing it back all to the poetry. Of course. Um, I want, when I'm reading and I'm experiencing life right now, I want people to tell me, how do we, how do we uh, think better? How do we think up? Yeah. You know, how do we grapple with be... these things and think upwards, not drag our, our emotions down to our... How to be constructive rather than destructive. Yeah, because we all have a, a lot of fight or flight going on right now. <laughs> And uh, just because of the energies that are going on, they're very life-threatening energies. So if you're thinking about these things, I want, how do we think about these things to, uh, like one of the poems that I absolutely loved after taking off a little bit. <laughs> and it was because you were trying to deflate it again. But you were, you were basically saying, you were talking about the human condition. And the, the, the things that we grapple with. And then you went into um, the natural world. And talked about the, the difference between the human condition and the natural world. You know, the, the, the realizations that happen in the natural world. Which are mo more getting us out of our puny little place in the world and seeing something grander yeah. just like for me I feel like right now when I was a kid you know I used to look out at the stars and I never felt small like everybody always would say oh these thing to look up makes you feel small I never felt small I felt uh, a part of a grander scheme and a small part of that grander scheme, but it didn't make me feel like, oh, I'm too small. <laughs> it made me feel like, wow. Did you ever lay under the stars? Did I ever what? Lay under the stars when you were a kid. Oh, yes. I mean, long enough to where you felt like you were floating. Yes, yes. I definitely did. Yeah, I remember that, that sensation where it's like you realized or you could sense that you were on this ball hurtling through space. So my own feeling is that a lot of our ills right now is that we're not, we need to be seen that we are a part of a grander thing. And that is what I go to poetry for. That's what I go for anything, songs, anything. I want to know that my, my grappling with the human condition is shared by others and that we are all... It's not a solo project? It's not a solo project. And that we're all, I want to hear from people who can give me some incantations to a higher purpose. So there you go. And we have music by which to uh, illuminate and illustrate the point. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. Something that uh, gives me great uh, comfort in my life going forward is the music of Dave Carter and Tracy Grammer.
On a sleepy, endless ocean, when the world lay in a dream, there was rhythm in the splash and roll, but not a voice to sing. So the moon fell on the breakers, and the morning warmed the waves, till a single sail did jump and hum for joy, as though to say, This is my home, this is my only home, this is the only sacred ground that I have ever known. And should I stray? In the dark night alone, rock me, goddess, in the gentle arms of Eden. Then the day shone bright and rounder, till the one turned into two. And the two into ten thousand things, and old things into new. And on some virgin beachhead, one lonesome critter crawled. And he looked about and shouted out in his most astonished drawl. This is my home, this is my only home. This is the only sacred ground that I've ever known. Should I stray in the dark night alone? Rock me, goddess, in the gentle arms of Eden. was carpet green and the wary children of the woods went dancing in between and the people sang rejoicing when the fields were clad with grain this song a celebration from their cities on the plain this is my home this is my only home this is the only sacred ground i've ever known should i stray in the dark night alone rock me goddess in the gym now there's smoke across the harbor and there's factories on the shore and the world is ill with greed and will and enterprise a war but i will lay my burdens in the cradle of your grace and the shining beaches of your love and the sea of your embrace this is my home this is my only home this is the only sacred ground that I've ever known. Should I stray in the dark night alone? Rock me, goddess, in the gentle arms of Eden. Rock me, goddess, in the gentle arms of Eden.
wigs and feathers for my head He sings the fields awake And folds me in The love that makes me whole Gentle soldier of my soul Gentle soldier of my soul 